Well, as um, Brad mentioned, we began last Lord's Day uh, studying uh, the Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Actually, it's probably his fourth. We call it 2 Corinthians. We have two inspired letters. Uh, he makes reference in 1 Corinthians to one letter and here in 2 Corinthians to another uh, that he had written to them. But uh, in the Lord's providence, they were not preserved and, and we trust didn't need to be, that we have all that we needed. So it's what we in, in the New Testament have as Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, after his 18-month ministry there, planning the church after he left, among other things, some uh, false teachers who humbly uh, called themselves super apostles came in afterwards and uh, undermined or tried to undermine Paul's credibility as an apostle in his ministry uh, with some significant success. Of course, there were other uh, sins that cropped up as well there in Corinth, and Paul uh, apparently made an, a visit there to Corinth to try to address those things that didn't go very well. Uh, he was um, apparently insulted by uh, some body or bodies in the church and uh, uh, left uh, and uh, wrote what he calls a severe letter to them and sent it by Titus. And by the Lord's blessing, the combination of the, his letter and Titus' presence and ministry seemed to uh, produce a good effect. And uh, there was some significant repentance uh, within uh, the church there at Corinth. And so uh, Paul is rejoicing, or he's going to mention that later in chapter 7, rejoicing in that good news and is in the process of planning to visit a third time. And this letter is partly to prepare for that third visit. And also when he comes, the churches are taking up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. And so part of what he's doing is preparing so that when he comes, that collection will be ready. So uh, that's the context uh, of, of this letter, apparently. Uh, it's pretty much regarded by most commentators as Paul's most personal, uh, most emotional, and most autobiographical letter. Uh, basically three basic parts, the first uh, seven chapters, largely a description of Paul's ministry. Chapters 8 and 9 is directions about giving, particularly this special gift that uh, they're collecting from the Gentile churches for the Jewish believers. And then finally, uh, from 10 to 13, uh, a defense of Paul's apostleship. Now, I, I suggested last Lord's Day, one possible theme you could use uh, for this book is perfect power perfected. And we raised the question very briefly, how do you make something that's already perfect more perfect? And the answer I suggested is simply by displaying its perfection so that it can be seen and appreciated. And uh, Paul is going to talk uh, in chapter 12 about how the Lord says his power is perfected in our weakness. Our weakness provides a platform to display his perfect power. And I think that's a theme that goes throughout the book, including the text we'll read in just a minute. Uh, one other suggestion I gave based on last week's text, right after the introduction, Paul launches into talking about blessing God, who's the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. I suggested another theme of the book might be honey from the rock, how the Lord uses the rock of our hard places and meets us there with the honey of his comfort. So that's all by way of a little bit of review and context. Um, I know Brad prayed, but I'd like to uh, ask you to stand again. By the way, before you stand, we can and should worship God with our bodies too.
That's one reason I think we stand at certain times to pray, and I'm asking you to stand as we read our text, is just as a gesture of respect. It used to be in the old days that when a woman, a lady walked into the room, a gentleman would stand, and it was just a gesture of respect. And uh, that's why scripture talks about kneeling as well. We get to worship God with our whole hearts, and we can worship with our bodies. So let me ask you to stand as we pray and read our text for this morning. <clears throat> Again, our gracious Father, how blessed and thankful we are to have your word and holy scripture. And even today, after the labors of so many of your servants uh, through so many years, uh, there are still millions of people who do not have a copy of the entire Bible in their own language. And yet we do. So many copies, so many helps to understanding it. And we thank you for all these mercies and especially for the gift of your spirit to be our helper and teacher. And we pray, gracious spirit, that you would be present now to bless our reading and our reflection together upon this portion of your holy word. For the good of these, your beloved children, and the glory of Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, our text this morning is um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and beginning in verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. Please be seated. Have you ever stared death in the face? I'm not talking about just a loved one or a friend. I'm sure many of us have looked into the, the faces of friends and loved ones who are dying, and that's, that's difficult, but that's not what I'm talking about. The question I'm asking, have you ever faced your own imminent death? It can happen in various ways, maybe some physical accident uh, that happened or almost happened where you realize, wow, I could have died. Maybe it's happened as it's happened to my dear wife twice where you're diagnosed with some terminal illness. And the diagnosis implied that you were about to die shortly. In any event, whether or not you have ever faced your own imminent death Paul certainly had on a number of occasions. And apparently he had an experience shortly before he wrote this letter to the Corinthians where that had happened. And after he begins, as we saw last week, by celebrating the fact that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions, he refers to this recent episode in his life uh, as a, something of a, a concrete illustration. 
And besides just giving us greater insight into Paul's life, I think this uh, example that he gives can also help us in our own walk with the Lord in two particular ways I'm going to suggest to you today. And the first one is this, to realize it is by no means unheard of for God's children to feel as though they have received a death sentence. It is by no means unheard of or unusual for God's beloved children to feel as though they have received a death sentence. Paul obviously did here in whatever this episode is he refers to, we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, our affliction, our tribulation, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Now, commentators differ as to what Paul might have been referring to. Uh, Acts chapter 19 refers to an episode in Ephesus during Paul's ministry where uh, everybody uh, rushed into the the great theater there in Ephesus because the uh, sellers of idols were upset that as the gospel was spreading in Ephesus and around that area, uh, their business was going down the tubes. Uh, Some think it might have had to do with that. We're not sure. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, what do I gain if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus. Is he referring there to the fact that he'd actually been put in the arena at some point with wild beasts? Again, we don't know. Some think it may have referred to a, a physical disease in Galatians. He talks about that. But whatever it was, even though we, we, can't, we don't have enough information uh, to know the specifics, it was clearly profoundly difficult. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life. He doesn't say that I was brought to the edge of my strength and I felt like I didn't have any more strength. He doesn't even say beyond our strength. He says excessively beyond our strength. So that they were despairing of life. Indeed, he said... We felt that we'd received the sentence of death, whether it was a formal sentence by some uh, judicial governor or whether he means it in a more general kind of way. Whatever this situation is that Paul's talking about, it was obviously profoundly difficult. Paul had faced death many times. Later in chapter 11, where Paul is defending his apostleship, he's going to argue these super apostles were prosperity gospel preachers. They said Paul couldn't possibly be a real apostle. Look how much he suffers. And Paul's going to argue, no, in fact, his suffering was actually a mark and a seal of his apostleship. He says in chapter 11, 23, that he was often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, not just an occasional sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And so Paul, many times in many different ways, 
whatever this particular situation may have been, had looked his death in the face, had been, it seems, under a sentence of death. And brothers and sisters, my point is that's nothing new. That's one reason we read Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sentenced to death literally, formally, by the king, the emperor, because they wouldn't worship his idol. That's why we read from Acts chapter 12, where Herod put James, the brother of Jesus, to death and was planning to do it to Peter. Long before the apostles' time, uh, there were um, the whole Jewish people condemned to death by Haman, the wicked advisor of Persian king Ahasuerus. Jonah, in the belly of the fish, he said, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And David, we're going to sing this, Lord willing, in a few minutes from Psalm 18. We sang Psalm 40 about how he had been in this uh, morass until the Lord lifted him up out of it. In Psalm 18, the preface says he, he wrote that after the Lord delivered him from his enemies, including Saul. But he says, verse 4, the cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assail me. The cords of Sheol entangle me. The snares of death confronted me. David, a man after God's own heart, often facing a sentence of death, figuratively and sometimes literally. I mentioned last Lord's Day that apparently on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, uh, between two and 300 Nigerians were uh, slaughtered uh, for their faith because they were Christians. Uh, many houses were burned. I've read that 30,000 were displaced. A number of churches burned. And uh, this week I read that those who keep track of these things say since uh, between 2009 and April of last year, 50,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. And that one is killed every two hours. Now there are other parts of the world. It may not be quite that extreme where the same thing is happening. And uh, so, brothers and sisters, and I'm not talking just about persecution. That's just one example. My point is, it is by no means uncommon for the children of God, the beloved redeemed of Jesus Christ, to find themselves really, or at least to feel like Paul did, under a sentence of death. I wonder if any of you this morning can identify with Paul. Maybe this morning, not necessarily uh, in a, a judicial sense that you've got a literal death sentence, but that you feel in some respect that you're at the end, burdened excessively beyond your strength so that you despair even of life, crushed under your burdens. You don't know how you're going to make it. You don't perhaps even really want to make it. You might even welcome death as a deliverance. If that's the case, beloved, don't be surprised. Life, even the Christian life, can be profoundly painful and difficult. Because we all, by nature, are under a sentence of death, 
And we have brought the whole creation, our whole world, under that death sentence, that just death sentence from God because of sin. And not only that, but we follow a Savior who was condemned to die and was put to death and tells us that if we follow him, it involves taking up a cross, an instrument of death, and following him. So rather than be surprised, we should be prepared. I saw where a former president of the United States was speaking at a funeral of a a U.S. service member who was killed in action, and he said he knew what he signed up for, and we should too. So if you find yourself this morning where Paul was, burdened excessively beyond your strength, despairing even of life, feeling like you're under some kind of death sentence. Or if at some time in the future you find yourself there, don't be surprised. Be encouraged. You're not alone. That's the point of those examples we gave from Scripture. I read two and I mentioned a number of others. You're not alone. We sometimes feel that way, and that makes it even harder when we feel like we're all alone. Why me? What am I doing wrong that this has happened to me? Now, there are times when we may find ourselves like Jonah. In Jonah's case, Jonah was where he was because of his sinful disobedience. But, and we may find ourselves there sometimes, and if that's the case, if we're there because of our own foolish or sinful behavior, then we need to repent and do what we can to make things right. But in many cases, that's not the situation. It wasn't with Paul or any of the other examples I've given. It may be the result of doing the right thing and following Christ faithfully. You remember Elijah in 1 Kings after he'd... uh, overcome and kill the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and Jezebel had put a sentence of death on him and he was fleeing and at one point he's praying and he says Lord I and I alone am left you remember what the Lord said no I've got 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee to Baal so brothers and sisters you may feel at times like you're alone but you're not You're in very good company. And that can be encouraging to us to realize, you know, I'm not a freak of some kind. Uh, This is not the result of my, uh, you know, sin or doing something stupid. Quite the opposite. And I think this should encourage us. Our text should encourage us, like Paul, to be honest about ourselves and transparent about our struggles. Paul didn't say, I'm an apostle. I never have any problems. I'm always on top. No, we don't want you to be unaware of what happened to us in Asia. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. I don't think Paul was complaining. That's sinful. If we accuse God of some kind of wrongdoing, God has not been kind. He's not been faithful. He's not good. He's not sovereign. That's different. But Paul here is just being frank and honest with his brothers and sisters at Corinth. He wasn't bragging. He wasn't indulging in a martyr complex. 
just being honest and I think illustrating the points he made in the previous verses from his own experience. I was really struggling. I was going through a really hard time. So Paul demonstrates for us, I think, from our text, as do many others in this book and the rest of Scripture, that's by no means unheard of for those following Jesus Christ, those serving God faithfully, to find themselves actually, literally sometimes, and if not emotionally and and feeling as if they're under a sentence of death. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to give us some additional great encouragements, and that's our second point this morning, brothers and sisters. Even when they feel as though they've received a sentence of death, God's children should never be hopeless. Even when they feel as though they are under a sentence of death, God's children should never be hopeless. And I think Paul in our text gives us three reasons why even in the most extreme circumstances, we should not be hopeless. First, God's children should never be hopeless even when they feel they received a death sentence because their father is, quote, Paul says, the God who raises the dead. He's the God of almighty power. He can deliver them. That's what he says there in verse 9. We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And that's why I read those two passages from Daniel 3 and Acts chapter 12, not just to show how common it's been for God's people, God's children and servants to find themselves in those cases very literally under a sentence of death, but to see how God delivered them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of that fire that was so hot that the men who threw them in were burned to death. And they weren't singed. There was not even a smell of smoke on them. And Peter, lying in a prison, shackled to a guard on each arm with four squads guarding him, gates locked, and delivered. Again, he initially thought he was just seeing a vision, and then he realized, no, it actually happened. The Lord's actually brought me out of this jail. I mentioned... The Jews, uh, the Jewish people in the times of Esther, under this death sentence by Haman, who was encouraging people on a certain day to go and slaughter the Jews and take all their property. And then the Lord elevates Mordecai and Esther as uh, uh, the queen of Persia. Uh, Between the two of them, they're able to turn the tables and deliver the Jewish people. And Haman's the one who winds up dead and hanged. Jonah, in spite of the fact that he was in the the belly of the great fish because of his own disobedience, was delivered. And in being delivered provides a picture, a type of Jesus' resurrection. David, we saw in Psalm 40, we're going to sing in Psalm 18, 
In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry reached him. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Psalm 6820, God is to us a God of deliverances, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. That's Psalm 6820. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, is there anything more difficult than giving life to the dead? Yes, there is. Paul says it in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, writing about Abraham and his faith. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. That's harder than giving life to the dead. Calling into existence things that don't exist. And God can do that. He has done it. He can do it. That is your God, brothers and sisters. Father, Son, and Spirit. So even though you may at times feel, and may at times literally be, under a death sentence, even then, your situation is not utterly hopeless. Because God, your God, is a God who can raise the dead and call into existence things which don't even exist. So the first reason why we should never be hopeless, even if we feel like we're in a situation where we are under a sentence of death, uh, stretched excessively beyond our strength, is because of the character of our God. A second reason is because our God can bring great good out of these kinds of situations. Notice, again, what Paul says here in verse 9. We have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul apparently learned some, a, a valuable lesson from that experience. And you and I, can't, being stretched to the limit, where we don't feel like we have no more strength, no more wisdom, we don't know what to do. The Lord does that so that we will learn to trust in Him and depend upon Him in a new way. You know, one of the, the downsides of being capable, being gifted, being successful, is the temptation to trust in yourself. Right here, oh yeah, I did it. And we all, to some extent, have that tendency. And so one of the things the Lord needs to do for all of us to varying degrees is to humble us, to teach us the truth about how weak we are. You know, one heartbeat, one breath, we can't guarantee that. Every, every second, every breath of your heartbeat depends upon the Lord. And to show us the truth about how weak and needy we are so that instead of depending upon ourselves in an inappropriate way, we learn, as Paul said here, this was so that we might learn to trust in him, the God who can raise the dead. 
So God can bring great good, if only in us, to, to grow us in humility, to grow us in faith, to grow us in hope. Again, I mentioned this verse last Lord's Day, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, where Paul uh, says, the Lord said, uh, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, he says, will I accept these trials that Christ's power may be made perfect in me. And Philippians 4.13, what does Paul say there? I can do all things. That's not what he says. And of course, that's, that's the ethos in which we live. The culture in which we live is, is all individualistic. Be all you can be. Get all that you want. Make yourself happy. You can do it. But Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a very different thing. And the Lord uses these death sentences, these episodes of being uh, stretched excessively beyond our strength to teach us to depend more upon him because we just don't have the resources. Jeremiah 17, 5, the Lord says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. He will not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. That's a picture of utter barrenness. That's the person who trusts in man, who trusts in the arm of the flesh. But he goes on to say, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by springs of water that sends its roots out by the stream, does not fear when heat comes, for his leaves remain green in all seasons he continues to bear fruit the difference between someone who trusts in himself and the lord and that's what the lord another thing another way the lord can use these for good one more reason brothers and sisters why we should not be hopeless even when we feel like we've reached our limit and gone beyond it we are under a sentence of death or would even long to be delivered by death is because of the power and the fruits of intercessory prayer. The power and the fruits of intercessory prayer. Notice verse 11 here. Paul, after he's talked about how the Lord had delivered him and he's trusting that he delivered us from so great a death, he does deliver us in whom we trust he will still deliver us. So he's affirming his, his faith in the Lord. We've talked about that, but notice verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through the many. And I think what he's referring to is the prayers of the many. So he's saying, pray for us. You can really help us through your prayers. And brothers and sisters, you and I can and should help one another by our prayers. Our prayers really make a difference. They're not... well. I guess with some people, maybe it's just an emotional placebo. They feel better because they go through motions of prayer. But if we really pray, it's not just a placebo. It actually does something. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And one way, not the only way, sometimes there are other ways, but one way we bear one another's burdens is simply by praying for one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And again, Brad in his prayer mentioned, uh, and in one sense, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because I know you do pray for each other, and I rejoice in that. I praise the Lord for it. But it's always good for us to be reminded of things, to be encouraged to do still more. And in Brad's prayer, he mentioned a number of people, the lambs, uh, the rays, the foreignies, uh, others where uh, we've seen the Lord hear and answer prayer. And I think that's another reason Paul gives here why we should not be hopeless. Now, how and why can we help people through our prayers? Because our God hears and answers prayer. He really is there. And he hears and answers prayer. He is able to do miracles in answer to prayer. And that doesn't mean they're always visible, dramatic miracles. But, I mean, he can do that. But that's not what we're necessarily uh, to, to count on and to, and to look for. But in various ways, subtle ways, and seem to be invisible. But he hears and he answers. He talks about Paul in verse 11. The blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. The God who can raise the dead and even bring into existence things that don't exist. is the God to whom we pray. As our Father. Remember what Jesus said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He is well disposed toward us. He's not a Scrooge, a curmudgeon, that we have to, have to you know, uh, break down his resistance. Why was Peter... Delivered from the prison. Do you remember the last, one of the last things we read? The church gave itself to prayer. In fact, they were so busy praying, I, I stopped for the sake of time, but if we'd read on, Peter, when he realized it was true, he was actually free, he went to the house of Mary, uh, the mother of John Mark, where they were all gathered in prayer. Remember, he knocked on the door, and Rhoda, the servant, came, and when she heard his voice, she was so excited, she didn't even let him in. She went back to the prayer meeting and said, Peter's at the door. They said, oh, you're crazy. But, but he was. The result of their prayers. How about Daniel and his friends? Prayer is not mentioned about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. That happened perhaps pretty quickly. But in Daniel 2, it specifically says they prayed and the Lord revealed the dream to Daniel. And Daniel was certainly praying in chapter 6 there in the den of lions. The Jews in Esther's day, it mentions they gathered to pray. Jonah prayed in the belly of the, the great fish. David talks about in Psalm 18, Psalm 40, he called on the Lord, prayer. And to what end? Why? Why does the Lord answer our prayers? Why should we be hopeful about that? Well, I think there are several reasons. For one thing, it glorifies him. Notice again what Paul says in verse 11, you helping us together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through the many, and I think what he's saying here, through the prayers of the many. And there is a cycle, or there should be a prayer cycle, a need or a problem. Prayer, God's answer, and praise and thanksgiving. 
And so that's what Paul is assuming here. As you pray, as the Lord answers and helps and delivers us, then be sure you turn that into praise for him. It honors and glorifies him. It's just an acknowledgement of the fact, just a reality. We couldn't do it, Lord. We ask and you did it and we praise and thank you. It glorifies him. It can be a testimony to other people. Wow, how in the world did that happen? Well, we prayed. And as we've already seen, but I'll mention, I mentioned it in my previous point, it can help us to grow in our own faith, to grow in grace. As we pray and the Lord answers, it encourages us. So again, anybody here this morning feeling like Paul, at least in the sense of burdened excessively beyond your strength? Maybe you know somebody, if you're not there, maybe you know somebody who is a friend or a relative. If not, you almost certainly will find yourself there at some point in your walk with Christ. But if you belong to Jesus Christ, no matter where you are, where you may find yourself, you have abundant reason to be hopeful. No matter what your problems are, they are not too difficult for your father. Who can, who has, who will raise the dead. Jesus said, with God Nothing will be impossible. Whatever your problems may be now or in the future, they will not be so profound that he cannot bring great good out of them. Glory to himself. Blessing to you. To draw you closer to him. For you to know him in a more intimate way as you depend upon him and see him sustain and bless and answer making you more holy, more godly, more humble, more believing, more hopeful. They're not beyond the power of prayer. So let me encourage you, when you find, if you're there this morning or when you find yourself there, like I said, don't hesitate to be transparent and honest, at least with some folks. And just to say, I'm really struggling here going through a very difficult time. Pray for me. Pray with me. Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth about anything you may ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm, I'm in their midst. There's a special power uh, to joint prayer. Keep praying until you see an answer, even if it's not necessarily the one you hope for. And pray specifically about the circumstances, the situation. Again, Brad prayed for Brian's situation and, and prayed for the doctors and the people involved. And so I think that's very appropriate. Pray for your own strength of soul. Psalm 138.3, on the day I called, you answered me and my strength of soul you increased. Psalm 138.3. Three. He prayed for strength of soul and says the Lord answered and increased that.
Be sure to let your prayers know when the Lord answers. Don't just say pray for me and then when the Lord answers, neglect to go back and tell those who've been praying how he's answered so they can rejoice with you and they can join you in giving thanks. And be ready like Paul, not just to share your trials again, but your deliverances. That can be another way to encourage your faith, to glorify God and to encourage others as well. So, to review and summarize, it's by no means unheard of for God's own beloved children to feel as though they've received a death sentence. But even when you may feel that way, God's children should never be hopeless. I can't personally say that I've ever stared my death in the face the way that Paul did and the way that some people have. One who has, as I mentioned earlier, is my own dear wife. Another was her dear mother and mine for 40 years, Grace Lee Quillian. Grace Lee went to be with the Lord 10 years ago this fall. Her end had been approaching because of cancer for some time, but we didn't realize it until about six weeks before she died. I can still picture where I was in our house when she told me on the phone, Skip, now I know how the Lord is going to take me home. she just come back from the doctor's office where he told her that she had terminal cancer and had given her a few months. Turned out it was six weeks. We didn't find out until later that all the way back, uh, she sang in the car that wonderful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. She sang the car all the way from the doctor's office back to her house. Until her death sentence was executed six weeks later and she was delivered into glory, she manifested the spirit of that wonderful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Cheerful, joyful, confident, loving. Oh, beloved, this is the genius and the glory of the gospel. We who are all under the ultimate sentence of death, and rightly so, because of our sin, have been delivered because God himself, in the person of his Son, has borne that penalty for us and set us free. Paul understood that. Grace Lee Quillian understood that. And it made a profound and wonderful difference in their lives. May it be the same with you and me. Amen. Please stand for prayer.